0: All right, well, before I begin, I want to pray, and uh, if you want to get your hearts, minds ready, as we look at Acts chapter 16, the end of 15, chapter 16, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you, Lord, so much for all that you've done, and I just want to pray now that you would bless the rest of the time we have together today, and uh, God, I ask that it would be truly your truth and your will that you uh, present to us this morning from your word. I just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, what is God's will for your life? Have you ever asked that before? Have you ever wondered? Anybody ever wondered that? What is God's will for my life? Um, how does He reveal His plan for us? How does God guide? How does He direct? I mean, how does He do these things? How does He let us know these things? Does He reveal His plan to us? Maybe you ask this. I ask this. What does He want me to do? Uh, something that might help before we go further, before I really dig into this thought, is to think about, I'm going to get very theological for just a moment. Are you okay with that, Denise? Theological? Okay. She's usually okay with that. Okay. Um, theologians, and don't think about it in a negative light. Think about it in terms of people who have taken a step back, studied God's word, and said, what, what, what do these things mean? So theologians, they would look at the scriptures, and they say that when we think about God's will or God's purpose for your life, they kind of break it into two ways of looking at it. One of those is God's moral will. The other is God's sovereign will. God's moral will, think about it in terms of right and wrong. Are there things that God clearly lays out, do this, don't do this. Are there things like that? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. At least one person's paying attention to me. Okay, so yeah, there's things that, I mean, doesn't God say at some point, don't kill people. I mean, is that not in God's law? Okay, so there's things that God clearly says, don't do this, right? Don't kill people. Um, that's part of God's moral will. There's things that he reveals and he says, do this, don't do this. Now God's sovereign will, we think of, when we think of scripture, we look at the Bible and we look at how when it talks about God's will, there's aspects where he talks about what he reveals to us in his moral will, do this, don't do this. But There's also God's sovereign will and that's talking about God's big overall plan for humanity. Many times working down, and in fact, I would say always working down to even the tiniest details of life. Um, Even sin in God's sovereign will that seems to go against his moral will will work to fulfill God's sovereign will. My favorite example is found in Jesus himself. Think about this for a second. That Roman soldier, or what about Pontius Pilate? Now, we've talked about this before here. What about Pontius Pilate? Was it right for him to take an innocent man and say, okay, go ahead and kill him, to, to succumb to the crowds? Was that, okay? was that okay that he did that? No, that was wrong. I thought I'd get a better response. I need some more responses today. I thought about this when I thought, you know, if I know there's going to be a lower number of people, I should just get rid of all the chairs on the side and make it all sit right here in the middle. Um, uh, okay, so yeah, was, what about King Herod? When Pilate said, go to King Herod, and King Herod, he, he could have I, said, you know what, this guy's innocent. You're free to go. Did he do that? No. Was that right? No. How about that Roman soldier? Or all those Roman soldiers. When they decide then that that he's been sentenced to death, but they knew, the crowd was, you know, crucifying, crucifying, but I mean, they had been there for part of the trial. They knew this guy was innocent. Was it okay for that Roman soldier just to obey commands? What about about that Roman soldier that took that nail, lifted that hammer, knowing this is an innocent person, driving it down, driving those other nails, setting that cross up, watching him die. Was that okay? No. Was that sin? Yeah. Was Christ dying part of God's plan for salvation for humanity? Yes, right? Consider this. We talked about this not that long ago. This is a sermon that Peter is preaching, and listen to how he talks about it. He says this, in this Acts chapter 3, he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? The God of our fathers, God, glorified his servant Jesus, okay? What's he talking about, glorifying Jesus? Crucified, died, buried, rose again. That was glorious, right? Glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered. So he's talking about the people that were in the crowd, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So Pilate decided to release him, but the crowd was like, no, crucify and Pilate succumbed to that. He continues, he said, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That's the, remember there was a murderer and they said, you know, give us Barabbas, right? And they, they released Barabbas and killed Christ. That was wrong. In fact, he goes on to say, and you killed, because that's really what happened. They were responsible And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He goes on, he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. In other words, you didn't know he was the author of life and you are doing It doesn't mean that they didn't know he was innocent. They knew he was innocent. They killed Jesus, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. So then it starts digging into this. But God foretold this, didn't he? By the mouth that his Christ, his Savior, would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He, wait, who's the he? He thus fulfilled. Who's the he right there? Is it not God? You killed him, but he had to die. Who fulfilled it? God did. Wait a minute. It's wrong to kill people, but that was God's overall sovereign plan. This, okay, pause. Uh, when, I, when I think too much about this, my brain starts to get kind of hazy, okay? If you're feeling that way, you're like, well, but how, that's okay. I don't know how God does it. I don't know how God has a perfect, sovereign plan that works all things out for good, and yet somehow part of that plan incorporated into it are sinful choices of people that are completely against what God says to do, but yet somehow the end result, you look back and you go, That was exactly what he wanted. In fact, it's not just what he wanted. It's bright. It's perfect. It's the best. How does he do that? I don't know. Peter, after he's uh, preaching this sermon, he gets back with the rest of the church, his early church, and he says it even more clearly with them. They're praying together, and this prayer is recorded where he says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. He's talking to God. It's a prayer to gather together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, right, you chose, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So all these people were against Jesus. What were they going to do? To do whatever, now this is yours, how about God? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In case there was any confusion, Peter throws an extra word in there. Not just your plan, but your hand that makes it personal. How did God do that? I don't know. But when we study scriptures, we can clearly see over and over and over again that God is in control and he's working everything out. And somehow even the, the most horrendous things that people do, in the end result, we look back and we go, I don't know how he did it, but God is good. It's seen so clearly in the life of Christ. But now, so now, that's our foundation when we think about God's will. So now, think about this. Sometimes in the Bible, those things, he, he lets us know. For example, Jesus knew God's plan for him. In fact, he kept telling his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. He was like, I don't think you're going to die. No, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die. He kept it. they didn't get it until afterwards. But he told them, Sometimes God lets his plan be known. One of our favorite examples, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, is the story of Gideon. Okay, Does anybody know the story of Gideon a little bit? I'm not going to make you tell it. Just curious if you've heard it. Okay, So Gideon, in the Old Testament, Gideon, God says, you're going to take the army, you're going to go, and you're going to defeat this enemy. I'm sorry, enemy. Okay, so you're going to go and you're going to do this. And so he heads off, but before he goes, he's like, I just don't know if this is really what God wants. And so there's this whole story where he then takes this fleece, and one time he, he says, God, if this is really what you want, let dew be everywhere except on the fleece. And he gets up the next day, and there's dew I might be getting these backwards, but there's dew everywhere, but the fleece is totally dry. But then the next day he says, okay, let, you know, if this is really what you want, let the fleece be covered in dew, but everything else, did I say that backwards? One time the fleece is wet and everything is dry. The other time everything's dry and the fleece is... Okay. Uh, anyway, so, and he answers it both times. He lets him know. And so a lot of times Christians today, they'll go, I'm trying to figure out what God wants to... And they'll, they'll say, I'm laying out a fleece. And what are they are talking about? They're talking about Gideon. They're, 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 they're praying like, God, let me know this. Okay, so there's clearly examples in the Bible where God not only lets people know, this is what I want you to do. And he also verifies it. So we end up with people that know these sorts of things. We end up with a spectrum of people. Okay. So on one end of the spectrum, you have people that know that God might have a plan for them. And now I, I gotta be honest. I, I assumed that everybody was kind of like me, but I have since found there are some people in this world that just go through life, and you know, once I became a Christian, you know, go through life, and they're not really thinking about. I wonder what God wants me to do. They're, they're not. I, I think there's some people, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people in here that if you really thought about it and you thought, I, 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 that's a, I think it's a small number. It's way over in this end of the spectrum. I think there's some people that go, you know, when, when it comes down to, okay, what job am I going to do? What am I going to take? What, what about this? What about the, all these decisions of life? They're not really thinking, what does God want me to do? They're just thinking, is this smart? Is this going to benefit me? Is this a wise choice? And that's, that's the extent of it. Now, way over here on the other end of the spectrum, and I would fall close to this side. Is, is this desire to know God's will. And so if you get way too far over here, you find yourself in a permanent state of indecision because you're constantly going, but I don't know if this is really what God wants. I think a lot of Christian young people that are graduating from high school, going into college, trying to pick careers, trying to pick spouses, they always struggle right here. There's many that struggle right here. And they start asking these questions who am I supposed to marry? Is this really the right person? Is this the right job I'm supposed to have? And, and what about this choice here? Should I accept this promotion? Should I take this vacation? Right? That's the other end of the spectrum. Um, that can really be a confusing point because then you start thinking, well, if there's a perfect person out there for me, how do I know I got the right one? And then they're constantly, what but maybe this is, and then, then you start to think. I fall close to this end where, I, so so often I'm like, God, what do I do? I just want to, I mean, I can honestly say before you, it, there are so many times that if God just said, this is what I want you to do, be like, okay, thank you for telling me, I've been trying to figure it out. Thank you. That's where I fall. Now, there's a lot of issues that we could discuss here as we're talking about God's will and finding it. And to be honest, if you're here today seeking God's will, so if you're in this category, uh, at least over this direction, where you're like, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I wish you would make it clear, make it plain, so I would know exactly what He wants me to do. If you're here today and that's you, I think that this passage of Scripture is going to help you out today. Now, bring this to your attention, not just because I wanted to talk about God's will, because this is the passage that we're in. Because the flip side of these people is... When you they finally make a decision and just verify my thought here by agreeing with me if this has happened to you. Have you ever thought, God, I just don't know what to do and finally go, okay, he's not like revealing something major. So you make a decision and you start going towards that decision and then something stops it. And you're like, oh. And then you start going this way and something boom. Can't go here. And you said, boom. <laughs> and it can be a, a whole lot of different things. And And sometimes, when too many of those things happen, what do you start going? You got something against me, God? Now we don't say it like that. We say it really nice, you know. God, you got something against me? (laughs) You know, I don't want to make you even madder than it seems like you already are right now. But but what's going on? Um, Am I? Did I do something to make you angry that you just keep shutting every decision I make down? Boom. What's going on? And so I think most of us, I can tell by your laughter. I don't even need to ask for a raise of hands. I think some of you have experienced that before. Well, we're going to see something very similar to that happen. But before you can appreciate it, I'm going to take you back in time to uh, uh, here. So if you weren't here, you're going to be like, I don't remember this. But who in here remembers when we first started studying Philippians? Anybody remember Philippians? Some of you do? Okay, so there's a few of you. Now, if you weren't here, let me tell you, uh, I kind of... I don't know if you know this, but I I can really tell who's paying attention and who's not. I know sometimes you probably think that you know you you know I can doze and he has no idea. I know. I see every head nod, every eye twitch, every lazy. You know you think you can secretly get gum out, you can't. Okay. And, and so I gauge sometimes in my head. I kind of pay attention to responses and. One of the best responses, like, when, when I think about things that just kind of strike a chord that everybody in, in, in church goes, yeah, this, I like this, was when we started Philippians. And I talked about the Philippian church. Before we looked at what Philippians said, we looked at the Philippian church, and it's going to come up here in Acts chapter 16. Now, for the few, there's only about three or four of you that said you remember this, but do you remember when the Philippian church started, the first, there's three instances where people, when Paul first made it to Philippi, there were three instances of just the, the people you would never expect to be the first people of a church. And I think that's why it struck a chord because I think some of you re- heard about Philippi and you're like, that's kind of like us. We're kind of like that. Okay, So, so anybody remember, what, what were the three people? Anybody remember the very first person Paul ran into when he came into Philippi? Yes, Lydia, right? The seller of purple. She's having a prayer meeting down by the river, right? And so she's down there having a prayer meeting and Paul runs into her in this prayer meeting and, and, and she's the first person that becomes a Christian uh, in Philippi. The second one, anybody remember the second one? You can answer You've already once. I think that's the third. Whoever said, you said that too. Uh, that's the third. Anybody remember the, the one right between those two? Yes, there was a girl that was, the Bible describes as possessed by deity, but these men were using her, she was a slave girl, and they were using her to tell fortunes, right? And Paul ran into her. He said, you're freed, this Evil spirits loved her. And, and, and so the men got really angry because that was their income, is taking advantage of this young girl and using her in this way. Well, they, that's what started the riot and then they got Paul arrested and he ended up in jail and that's where the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer, right? Paul and Silas are in prison and they're singing and this, uh, the God opens the gates and the Philippian jailer thinks that they've all gone. Well, anyway, that's, that's for another. We're, we're coming up on that story so we're going to go over all that again. But... I can remember talking about that with you and I can remember the people that were here at that time were going, I love those people. And they kind of felt like Edgewood kind of people. Would you agree, the people that were here? They just kind of felt like, I mean, when we look around at each other, we don't have any, we got some oddballs in here, don't we? I, I hate to break it to you. If you're not an oddball, you're probably in the wrong church, okay? But we, we, we read about that Philippian church and we thought, man, that's, I love that. I love that. I mean, God just started this church with the, the weirdest, oddest set of people. But now we're going to talk about what I'm going to call this little section here. There's so many things we could, we could talk about. I want to talk about just what happens here. I want you to think about it as the road to Philippi, that great story that we loved, those interesting salvation experiences. Listen to how Paul went from where he was at to Philippi. Okay, So here we go. Um, after some days, now remember Paul and Barnabas had just left Jerusalem. They're back in Antioch, their home church. They're, they're telling everybody about what happened down in Jerusalem, the big debates. So they're back up there. After some days, Paul, Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas, Barney, let us return, visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That first missionary journey we took, let's go and see how everybody's doing. And it says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but remember Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they went to Cyprus, where Barnabas was from, and they went through Cyprus, and then they went up to mainland Turkey, and then at some point it says John abandoned them. It doesn't tell us why, it doesn't tell the reasons, but Paul clearly, he remembers this, and he says, I don't think it's best to take with us somebody on the same journey that last time we took it, ditched us, right? Right? Now, I don't get the sense that Paul's just bitter or angry about it. He's just saying, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and there arose a sharp disagreement. does not necessarily mean anger. It just means it's a clear-cut disagreement. Paul and Barney, right? I mean, they're, they're, argue, they're, they're like, but they disagree. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he says, we've got to take... I, th- I personally think that that's a lot of what it was about. Remember, John Mark was Barnabas' nephew, And so I think Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is like, "Let's give him another chance." And Barnabas is going, or and Paul's going, "Not this time." (laughs) Now, little side note: we find out later, Paul mentions John Mark and describes him as someone that's been useful for his work. So there must be a restoration later where there's this thing where Paul says he he's been beneficial to me. Okay, but that's 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 for another day. So this sharp disagreement comes up. Okay, Barnabas then took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brother to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we'll pop up a map here. So here we have the second missionary journey starts. So instead of leaving Antioch and going down to Cyprus, that's what Barnabas and John Mark do. Paul decides to head up this way and he's going up through this area right here. Okay, So, this, that wasn't the plan. They're ready to make the plan. Detour number one, interpersonal relationship conflict comes up. Boom, plans get scrapped. New plans happen. They had their separate ways. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. You may have heard of him. A son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well-spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. They, they, Timothy, I think, must have gotten saved the last time Paul came through. Paul came through these same cities preaching. I think Timothy got saved at that point. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he wants to take Timothy along with them. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So he kind of compromises a little bit on things that were decided in Jerusalem. He compromises a little bit for the sake of these uh, Jewish believers. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them... uh, For observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Things are going well. They're headed back through these churches that they went through, kind of going a reverse route. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, what does that say there? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, Let me go back to the map here for a second. We think that Paul's goal from this area was to head down this way, okay? We think that's where he's headed. But the Holy Spirit, it doesn't tell us how. Um, I've just lost my place. Lystra, Greek, there, there we go. It doesn't tell us how. But somehow, the Holy Spirit forbids him, don't go this way. Detour number two. The Holy Spirit forbids, don't go this way. I, I don't think it was something verbal because it's, there's something like that going to happen later. I think either Paul just knew or maybe some things happened that he couldn't go that direction. So they head off the other way, head up north. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, another city, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament it says the Spirit of Jesus is just another way of saying the Holy Spirit um, didn't allow them. So first the Holy Spirit forbids them this way. Then they, they try to say, well, let's go this way. Boom. Detour number three. Doesn't allow them. How would you feel at this point? You start second guessing decisions you'd made earlier. And God's shutting all these doors. We don't see Paul doing that. You said, okay, not this way, this way. It reminds me of one of those, remember those little wind-up toys that would go towards the wall and then they ran into the wall? What'd they do? Boom. This way. And then they go this way and then they into this wall. Boom. Okay, I'll go this way. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Paul's like, I'm gonna go on this mission. And he heads off. God says, nope. And he goes, okay. Is, nope. Okay. He keeps going. Then we have this happen. The fourth detour. Oh, So passing by major, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is going to be crossing over to where we think of as Greece. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now, let me ask you some questions. Did God reveal his plans to Paul To go to Macedonia, did he reveal those things all at once at the beginning of the journey? No, he didn't. What did God use to bring Paul to Macedonia? Well, what was the first detour? Conflict. Right? So God's detours can also be our own actions and disagreement. I mean, so this is laying out a big picture. The second one was the Holy Spirit forbids and the Spirit of Jesus doesn't allow. I tried to see if there was any meaning behind this one saying forbid and this one saying not allow. There's no, we don't know. I'm okay with that. I think that because of the Spirit of God, making sure that Luke wrote this down, I think Luke wrote it down in such a way so that we wouldn't be able to say, oh, it's only like this. I think he left it vague so that you could know whatever that looks like, however God stops something from happening right? However God sets up a detour, then we can know that's God's detour. He's setting up a detour. Go this way. The fourth one was finally, finally at the end, which Troas is just right across the Aegean Sea to Greece. I mean, so he's almost there anyway. He gets to Troas, this port city, and that's where God finally says, go to Macedonia. And Paul says, that must be where I'm supposed to go. Let me ask you this. What are some new things that happened because of the change of plans? This is a good question. Think it through. Because the plans didn't go the way he thought initially, which is go back through Cyprus, around the other direction, the way he had done before. What are some new things that happened because he didn't get his plan? John Mark and 2nd Jansen seems to be have future ministry. Yeah. Because they split, we find out later, John Mark has some version of future ministry. In fact, in connection to that, think about this. Instead of one missionary party going out, how many do we have going out now? Two. Interesting. Um, Now, what about the meeting up with Timothy? If we would have gone the other way, would that meeting have happened the same way? Maybe not. Maybe it still would have. I don't know. There's a lot of things that we have. There's whole new mission field, though, is where he ends up going to places he didn't have planned, but God Did. So let me give you this piece of truth. Ready for it? I believe this. I was trying to think of a way to summarize this in a way that you could walk away with and go, this is something to remember. So when you're in, the, when you're in those moments where maybe the detours come up, sometimes it's good to have a little phrase. Okay. I believe the scriptures show us again and again, God does not always reveal his plan. But you know what God does reveal? His attributes who he is. Let me go through a few. There's so many attributes of God I could talk about, but let me just talk about a few that might be helpful to you when you run into a detour. Okay? God doesn't always reveal his plan, but God has revealed his attributes. The first one I want to mention, God is a planning God. We see that in Scripture over and over and over again. You never see a point in Scripture where God goes, Oops! how am I going to fix this one? Okay, that, you, never. I used to think that's how God worked. I used to think that that's what happened. Like, like people sinned and God went, oh man, I got to, uh, there, I'll fix it this way. You don't see that. You never see anything happening like that. In fact, what you see instead is even when Satan's working, you see people trying to do bad things, all these things, you get to the end and God goes, that's what I was trying to do anyway. That's exactly what my plan was. I used to think as a kid, when I started getting this idea, I used to think, man, it'd be really frustrating to be Satan, wouldn't it? Like everything you do, you know, that you think is gonna destroy God's plans, come to find out, God's going, thank you. That's what I needed to happen. (laughs) That's kind of childish, I know, but that's how you say, I think, but God is a planning God. Share with you one scripture to go along with that. Oop, not there. Oh, I went really far ahead. There we go. Ephesians chapter 1, this is a passage we studied when I, I first came here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So i just painting this picture here. Listen carefully. Even as He chose us in Him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God is a plan of God. Before the foundation of the world, he knew how he was going to bring each and every one of you to Jesus. And you're here today and you're hearing about Jesus. Why? Because God has a plan. Some of you, I bet it would be amazing if we just started talking about the different things that have brought you to this church, this tiny little church off Poland Road. I can guarantee it wouldn't be a whole bunch of pretty rose beds and, and wonderful flowery things. Most of us in this room have gotten to this place, and you say, it's been a hard road. But here I am, and I'm, I'm thinking about God? Why is that? Because God had a plan. He kept detouring you until finally, boom, 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 boom. Hedgewood. Jesus, God. Right? Here you are. Let me give you another one. God is good. Some people question this. They're wrong. God is good. If Denise was in here, all the time. Oh, thank you, Norma. I knew somebody would help me out. God is good? You, can, you say it. Let's try it again in all uses. I'll say God is good, you say all the time, right? God is good? All the time. And it's true. James 1.17 says this. Every think, think this here, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So everything that's genuinely, not just what you think, but genuinely good, every single thing that you've ever gotten that you've been able to look back and go, that was good. Where'd that come from? Above. Every good thing you've ever gotten in your life, whether you've acknowledged God or not, good things come from God. God is good all the time. How about this one? God is love. This is actually an easy, really easy one to, to validate. It actually says this in 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. So it's talking about, hey, we should love each other. Why? Listen to the reason, though. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. So Now remember, we're talking about love, like the, the real deal love. Like I'm sacrificially doing what's best for other people. Real deal love, right? So let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves right? Has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. I'll give you one more here. I could go on this list for a long time. God doesn't always reveal his plan, but God has revealed his attributes. God has a plan. He's a planning God. God is good. God is love. Um, I love the part, I I, I sandwich it here in this, because God has a plan, but also God is a God that works to bring about his plan. We've seen some examples of that already. In that passage in Acts we shared earlier, what does it say? God's hand and God's plan, right? Romans 8, a lot of people know this one. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay, All things work together for good. A lot of people hear this, they like to say it, for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose, right? But listen to the rest of this. For the, now, now think about in this next part, all the things that God is doing and see if it says anything that we're doing. Okay? let's do it. For those whom he, God, foreknew, so he knew in advance, he also predestined, so then he planned it out, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's talking about getting saved, right? Salvation to become like Christ. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So this is like getting into the nitty-gritty. So when you're sitting there doing your own thing and God said, I'm coming for you, <laughs> right? I'm going to call you in to my kingdom. See, he didn't just plan it and predestine it, and then he's like, he calls, right? And those whom he calls, he also justified, justified as a, a biblical word that's talking about when, when God declares someone righteous so that at that point when genuine faith has come in to a person by God's hand and they go, I believe, and sin is wiped away. The Bible says that there's a legal action that happens at that moment that's descriptive of like a, a, a judge bringing down the gavel where he says, God says, righteous. So if you've come to that place in your life where you went, I believe, and it's, it was a real thing, and you believe that up in heaven, God said, Declared, whoops, righteous, sorry, battery. Okay, I'll get it. But think about it. You are righteous in God's eyes. But who did it? He justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. There's a whole aspect of this glorification. He's bringing you, it ties back to the beginning, conforming to the image of Christ. This means, though, that he's gonna carry all the way to completion so that one day you're gonna stand before God completely glorified. Notice who's doing all that stuff. Is it the person? No, it's God, right? He justified, he called, he predestined, he foreknew, he he declares righteous, he justifies, glorifies so as you're hitting those oh my battery's not working now John I think I have it in the wrong place let's try that there we go so when you hit those detours maybe have these jotted down wait a minute your car breaks down on the way to church right God has a plan God is good God is love God's working something here I think maybe my car broke down. There could be a bajillion reasons, but maybe, you know, we always like to speculate. Maybe there was going to be a wreck down the road, and God just said, maybe that's what it was. Maybe he just wanted me to have a nice little illustration to use today. Thank you, Lord. Right? So what what does this mean for you? Number one, plan your life according to a spirit of wisdom. See, if you know that this is the kind of God that you have that's sovereignly working out his plan, his will for you, and it's good, and he's loving, what does that mean for you? Does it mean you have to be stuck in a perpetual state of indecision going, but what do I do? I want to do the right thing because I want God. No. Number one, plan your life according to a spirit of wisdom. James says this. And I'll come back to that slide for those of you that are jotting that down. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. He doesn't hold back. You say, Lord, give me wisdom. He says, okay, generously, I'll give you a bunch. And it will be given to him. There's a lot of things that God says, ask. This is one of those things where he says, if you ask for this one, I will give it every time. There's no no but if you're going to ask, do it in faith without doubting. Why? Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven. So then if you say, okay, Lord, give me wisdom. And you say, okay, now I'm going to make a decision. It, it, if you lack faith, what happens? And you're like, oh, maybe it's the right one. Maybe it's the right See, that's exactly. You say, okay, God, give me wisdom. Make the decision. Okay. And you make the decision. Because see, you know what? If God has something different for you, what's he going to put up? Detour. Okay. Second, plan your life according to an attitude of humility. So you, okay, make a wise choice. I'm going to go do this. Plan your life with an, according to an attitude of humility. I'm giving you a second to jot that down. I'm going to give you another passage of scripture. I'll come back to this for you jotters. See that spirit of humility that seeps in? Okay, I'm going to make this decision. I think it's the wise one, but there's always a spirit of humility that says, if the Lord wills, I'm going to. And you'll notice a lot of older Christians, I love it when they do that. that so often they'll say, Lord willing, in the creek, well, which has new meaning for Bruce and Lucinda. Um, yeah, Lord willing, we're going to, we'll do it. Well, what are they doing? Is it, just, is it just saying, maybe it's just the same, maybe for you it's personal, but, but for all of us, Ought it not to be true? If God is willing, I'm going to do this. But man, my plans are could be could change in a moment. All God has to do is say something different. I'm I'm there. Go up a detour, God. I'll I'll change my mind. You're not going to see with a person who with the spirit of humility that when the detour pops up, they go, "Stupid detour." They're wanting to go stupid, God, right? Because that's what we're thinking. Big bully God. Won't let me get what I want. God is working out this plan. He doesn't always tell us in advance, but he tells us who he is he says, I'm good. So if I throw up a detour, why? It's good. Because I love you. I've got a plan and I'm working it out. Third here, this one kind of Maybe ought to go first when you begin making your decisions, plan your life according to God's revealed moral will. What are loving choices? See, there's some things you can automatically go, this is clearly not something God wants, right? Should I kill this guy? No, see, no, no, don't, don't kill people, right? Should I be hateful? No. Should I lose my temper and yell? No, no. Good choices, righteous choices, sacrifice, take it a step beyond, choices like Jesus would have made. Now this last one, this last point that I'm gonna close with is is a challenging one. I think it's challenging because in my heart, I'm kind of a kid and I have to teach high school kids and you'll understand why I'm saying this in just a moment. It's a very good point and I can't change it because it's so good but it just sounds funny. Be prepared to be detoured. Now see, Lucinda got it already. Detoured, but not de- deterred, right? Which then I say it out loud and the junior high boy in my head goes. Okay. Some of you will get it after church. You'll go home and you go, oh, okay. This is, this is so true. Prepare for the detour. To deter means to discourage. So as you're going along through life, you, you make the choice. Okay, this is, this is right. It fits with God's moral will. That I, I'm not sinning by doing this choice. I've I prayed for wisdom, so I'm going to make this decision. I'm humbly saying, Lord Lord willing. So then I start to go. Detour. Okay, not discourage God. That's okay. Um, I'm going to, this, this choice number two, I thought that was the right one. I was wrong. That's okay. Okay, good. Let's start ahead this way. Detour. Okay, Lord, that's all right. Right? I'm not... See, because what happens in these moments when you refuse to be discouraged by God's detours, what are you doing? You're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you love me. I trust that you have a plan, and I trust that you're working it out. You, God, you can put as many detours in my life as you want. In fact, at some point when you start to get this, you start to go, God, it's going to take a lot of detours. I usually go the wrong way first. I think I'm doing the right thing, but I'm usually, I'm, God, I'm not that bright, so just, I'm okay, detours. Throw them up whenever you want. I'm okay. Prepare. If you're a person who loves and trusts God, you're gonna be the kind of person that's, that's ready and willing and looking forward to life's little Detours. If you are a person, on the other hand, that thinks you know what's best. God throws detours, and what do you do? You get frustrated. And you get angry. And you get mad. And you try to knock the detour down. And you try to kick it out of the way. Why? Because deep in your heart, whether you're willing to admit it or not, you actually think you know better than God. And I hate to break it to you, but you don't, okay? You don't know better than God. So if God wants to throw up a detour in your life, the best thing you could possibly do is to go, thank you, Lord. I'm ready to take the new path. I'm gonna close With a little story here of someone who encountered many detours. Not just Paul, I want to share just one about Joseph. Joseph, we've talked about many times, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Joseph tried to make the best of it. What happened? He got falsely accused by his boss's wife. He was thrown into prison unjustly. He was forgotten there and left. No trial. Finally, after all these things, God opens up a door, gives him this series of opportunity, and he ends up second in command to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. While he's there, he helps prepare for a famine that's coming, that God has revealed this famine is coming. Part of his then preparing for this means that Egypt has other resources that when other countries around are struggling because of the famine, they start coming to Egypt to buy grain. Well, lo and behold, guess who shows up to buy grain? Joseph's brothers. There are a series of different happenings there. Joseph finally reveals to him, I'm Joseph. They didn't recognize him at first. Reveals and, and the, he brings the father back and everybody's there, but then then at the very end of the story, the, Joseph's father dies, and the brothers get together, and they go, now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to kill us. And so they go to him, begging for forgiveness, and he has a response that I think is absolutely astounding, and I believe it's here for all of us to read. Joseph encounters his brothers, and he, he has this response like, why are you worried about? Why? Because he... Through all these things, he's gotten a glimpse of something bigger. And he makes this statement to his brothers, his brothers who sold him into slavery. And what does he say? He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me. You meant it for evil. In fact, the the word there is this idea of purposed it. It's the idea that you set it up in your heart to do evil against me. So here's some people, his brothers, they were trying to do evil. He says, you meant evil against me, but God patched it up for good. Is that what it says? Look at it. God God finagled it for good. Is that what it says? Um, God twisted around somehow to try to make it look okay. Is that what it says? What's it say? But God what? Meant it for good. Guess what? Same word. Purposed it for good. So he looks at his brother and says, what you had evil intentions for, God actually had good intentions for that evil thing you did. And then he goes on to say why, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph captured an idea, I believe. And through all those detours that we would have, we would still, even if you think about it, are horrific. Sold into slavery by your own brothers? Horrible. Left to rot in prison? Horrible. But Joseph knew. You don't see one glimpse of Joseph being frustrated about any of it. And at the end, I think he reveals why. You may have had evil purposes, but God had good. So when you go through life, if you're a child of God, I can guarantee you, you will have detours. Many. Some of them will feel frustrating. Frustrating. But if you're a child of God who loves God and gets to know who God is, you will go to this detour. And you will begin, the more you grow in your faith, the more and more you will hit those detours and just go, God's got a plan. God is good and God loves me. And I know that God right now, while I'm thinking about this, is working this for something. I may never know what it is. But God, I trust you enough to say, that's okay. That's okay. I don't need to know what it is anymore because I know who you are and I know that you're good. If you take any other route, you will experience so much frustration in this life. But if you can get to the place where you trust the person of God, things will go so much more smoothly in your spirit and who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you now for your word. God, I want to thank you for detours. I thank you for how you detoured Paul the Apostle to bring him to Philippi so we get to hear the story about that flipping jailer and and Lydia and and, uh, the slave girl. Lord, we got to hear those stories that Paul arrived at just the right place at just the right time to encounter those people in that way with the right companions with him. God, you work that out. And I thank you, Lord, that you shared with us in your word that it didn't work out by you telling Paul in advance. I'm thankful, Lord, for Paul that is willing to be detoured but not discouraged. God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us in this room. Lord, I can only imagine because I know it's true for myself that often detours are very, very frustrating. God, but I know that they're not when we begin to know who you are. And so I pray that you would be with each person in this room as they leave this building. And Lord, there's some detours you already know are happening this week. Now we don't know what they are yet. God, I pray that there would be a different attitude from those that are in this room that when they encounter those detours, that maybe this week will be different than previous weeks of their life. Maybe this week will be a week that when the detour comes, out of faith we will say with joy, thank you, Lord for bringing this detour in my life. Thank you, God, that you saw fit that before this detour came in, you had orchestrated the the Scriptures to line up so that the passage of Scripture we were getting right before I encountered this detour was on Acts chapter 15 and 16, so I would hear about it. Lord, thank you for working these things out. I pray now for each person in this room, God, that you would fill them up with your Spirit so that they may be able to, with, with joy, Accept all that you have for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.